break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back on The Punch-Out, 9th of November, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to talk about the ongoing, continuing uprising against the absolute monarchy in Swaziland. We're going to be discussing prison profiteering. Yes, again, there's even more. Before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the Middle East and North Africa and the massive heat waves that are set to hit them. As the global elite gather in Glasgow to pump up their pretend efforts to save the planet, as thousands protest outside the official venues trying to expose the sham, the issue of climate impacts remains front and center. How bad is the problem really? That's certainly what many people are asking themselves. Well, a new study from the journal Nature lays it out pretty clearly as it concerns the Middle East and North Africa region, often referred to as the MENA region. Bottom line, as researchers lay out, If things continue on their current trajectory, 50% of the region's population could be subjected to heat waves lasting weeks, even months, with temperatures of 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's 500 million people who could be subject to weeks, if not months, of 140 degree weather. The lead author of the study told Al Jazeera, quote, heat stress during summers will reach or exceed the thresholds of human survivability at least in some parts of the region, and for the warmest months, end quote. Exceeding the threshold for human survivability. So in other words, large parts of the Middle East and North Africa may become essentially uninhabitable if we continue on our current climate trajectory. 70% of the water-stressed countries in the world are in the MENA region. So, as you can imagine, it will only get worse. Already, as Al Jazeera notes, quote, More than 12 million people in Syria and Iraq are losing access to water, food, and electricity because of rising temperatures, record low levels of rainfall and drought, which are depriving people across the region of drinking and agricultural water. Syria is currently facing its worst drought in 70 years. Aid groups describe the situation as a, quote, unprecedented catastrophe. And according to some studies, water availability could decline by 45% in the nightmare scenario that the region and the world could be headed for regarding the climate. And the study also notes that, quote, livestock in the MENA region will also be affected since the majority of the camel, cattle, and goat populations are located in areas of high vulnerability. So 140-degree weather, very little water, and essentially no animals, exceeding the limits of human survivability. That's where we are here. And notably, this could also seriously affect the Hajj, the annual annual pilgrimage performed by Muslims and a major part of their religious practice. On average, those who take the Hajj spend 20 to 30 hours outside, 
And it may become impossible for those on the Hajj to really do this, given the state of the heat, which means that it may not be able to take place at all, at least not without extremely expensive adaptation measures. But even those can only do but so much. Now, again, this is all based on whether or not we stay on the current trajectory towards three degrees Celsius of warming by the end of the century. The goal is one and a half degrees Celsius. So far, the best case scenario of all the pledges being made by all the countries around the world are met 100%. We would still be at a two to two and a half degree rise. If weeks, if not months of 140 degree weather across the Middle East doesn't give you a sense of how dire this problem really is, I honestly don't know what will. Clearly, climate action is a species imperative. We spoke to you last week about the cost of being in prison, that the low quality of food and clothing and so on requires prisoners to find ways to supplement those things by spending money in the commissary in order to buy extra food, extra clothes, and so on and so forth. But the cost of those items far exceeds what an average prisoner with a job can make, forcing many to depend on friends and family sending money in to help them purchase the needed goods and also to pay for phone calls and the like to stay connected with the same friends and family, which is crucial to the mental health of those who are incarcerated. Basically, all states outsource the issue of transfer payments. So as you might imagine, there is a lucrative industry controlled by a small number of companies that are taking advantage of prisoners and their loved ones' desperation in order to force them to pay usurious prices. Now, most of us use things like Venmo, Cash App, and so on, and this is a similar sort of process. And sometimes we get a fee for an instant transfer, 1%, 1.5%, and so on. The Prison Policy Initiative looked at the 33 states that have data available about the fees for these various prison versions of these forms of transfers and found, quote, rates ranging from 5% to 37% for online transfers. The average fee is 19% for a $20 online transfer with a slight decline for higher dollar transfers. The average fee for a $50 transfer is 12%. Fees for phone or in-person payments Options more likely to appeal to low-income people without a bank account were generally higher than for online payments, and there's no reasonable explanation why prison money transfers are so much more expensive than regular, quote-unquote, free world services like Venmo. In New York and Florida, major incarcerators, by the way, they have fees of 20 and 25% respectively on a $20 transfer. In Nevada, it's 35%, Ohio, 18%, Wyoming, 30%. Three companies, the well-known JPay, Global Tellink, and Access Corrections, control almost the entire industry of these financial transfers. In most states, there's a total monopoly, although 11 states do offer an option. Well, the options don't really appear to help those trying to send money into their loved ones. As the Prison Policy Initiative further related, quote, the 11 states with multiple options had an average fee of 16% for a $20 transfer as opposed to an average of 20% in the 26 states that issued monopoly contracts. And the Prison Policy Initiative also notes that it isn't even that easy to figure out what the cheaper option is when you're trying to shop around, as it were, in states that offer choices. For instance, in California, JPay is the cheapest option for a $20 transfer, but the most expensive option for a $50 transfer. And there's also the fact that the contracts you agree to when you sign up to use these services, the fine print, force you to agree to all sorts of things, especially massive collection of your personal data. Also, amazingly, all of the three main services say, in the fine print, they are not even agreeing to offer a service. So in other words, if the money doesn't arrive, arrives late, or whatever, for whatever reason, there's nothing you can do. 
There are all sorts of issues and problems with mass incarceration. It's a cruel, inhumane system. But here's just another reason, among many, for why it must be ended. Despite the shooting of dozens of protesters by the police, the unprecedented uprising against the king of Swaziland, King Maswati III, continues, demanding democracy and better conditions for the poor and working people of that country who have been suffering under the king for years. On November 4th, nurses at the main hospital in the capital of Swaziland went on strike, demanding an end to a shortage of medical supplies in the country and a pay hike for healthcare workers. They also demanded more food for patients. In fact, food is such a major issue in the hospital that is so little is provided to patients that nurses can often not administer prescribed medicines due to side effects of taking it without enough to eat. And this comes after the nurses marched with the same demands on October 20th and were brutally attacked by security forces. The teachers union in Swaziland, which has also faced brutality multiple times at multiple demonstrations, actually met with the police recently and demanded accountability. A union leader told the news site People's Dispatch, quote, the meeting bore no fruit. We were told the police had no report about who opened fire and at whose orders, but they will investigate. The usual assurances we are provided every time, end quote. And of course, every time they protest, they're shot at. The monarchy always pleads poverty, saying they can't afford these basic social services that all of the people of Swaziland are in the streets demanding. Yet, the king is widely known to spend billions of dollars every year on grand parties, festivals, palaces, and other indulgences of the royal family, including a fleet of Rolls-Royce cars and private jets. Meanwhile, an estimated 60 to 70 percent of the population lives on less than $2 a day. And there are no other options but to protest because the king completely controls the political system and what is the last absolute monarchy on the African continent. Despite the unprecedented rising, where almost 100 have been killed since June, the Southern African Development Community, an important regional group of countries, continues to offer the king a lifeline. The SADC representative and South African President Cyril Ramaphosa insists that the king wants to negotiate and are urging demonstrators to engage in what is a totally BS forum designed to short-circuit the protest that's being set up currently by the monarchy. As of now, no one in the protest movement is budging, demanding nothing less than a full step-down of the king and real socio and economic change. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.